something in our series going through the book of Acts that I have not done yet. In fact, I've struggled to, do, to get through a chapter in a sermon. But I'm going to do my through two chapters today, okay? All right, two, two chapters. Some of y'all just started the prayer and fasting right there. All right, but we're going to move through some things here this morning and uh, just try to help to all of us. And um, if you can tonight in our evening service, we're going to be continuing at 6 o'clock looking at the life of Abraham, and we're going through a series of him. Abraham's the man in the Bible known as the friend of God. And I think that's a pretty high compliment if you think about it, to be called the friend of God. And we're going to kind of keep looking at his life at 6. Before we get into Acts chapter 19, I want us to stop for a moment and just pray and uh, just ask God to bless our time together. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Thank you, Father, just as Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And Lord, we just come to you this morning thanking you, God, for all that you do for us. Lord, it seems so cheap even just to say it that way. But Lord, all the many things you do as we count our blessings. Lord, the poorest person in this room, if we would truly count just this morning the things that you have done to us, the blessings you have given us, we are truly rich. Lord, I pray you'd help us during this time of year not to look at our wealth or our status based on the things of the world, but Lord, may we see our riches in Christ. As the choir sung about this morning, Lord, all I have is Christ. And God, if, if all we have is Christ, then we are truly the most blessed people on the face of the planet. And Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I pray you take me and use me. Lord, I pray you might use me as your vessel, cleanse me of sin and self. Lord, I pray you would just be with us as we hear your word today, God, that you would help us to receive it. Receive whatever it is for us that you have. Lord, I pray Satan would not have a victory today in anybody's heart and mind. And Lord, for those people today that might need some encouragement, God, I pray through your word you might encourage. Those needing direction, Lord, I pray that you would lead them in a plain path because of their enemies. Lord, I pray for the soul of that person in here this room today that may not know you as their Savior. They may know about God. They may have heard about Jesus. They may know some verses. But they never enter into a personal relationship as Christ as their Lord and Savior. May today be that day. As you say in your word, today is the day of salvation. Lord, because there may not be another day. Lord, I just pray for your will to rule and reign. Take the veil away that we might see Christ. In his name we pray, amen. And this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 19. And before we get into reading some of the scripture, um, I'll just give you a little heads up. Part of this message today, if you would, is probably going to be a little bit more Christian to believers and maybe even to uh, the church, whether or not you remember here or not, that doesn't matter. If you know the Lord's your Savior, you're part of the body of Christ, and that's what's the most important thing. But I want to ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand to respond. But do you ever sometimes just feel that flame, that zeal, that desire, that gumption, if you will, to love God, please God, serve God in all of your life? Do you ever feel that fire just kind of wane a little bit? You ever sometimes feel like that fire just feels like sometimes it's starting to go out? And it might be going out for many reasons. Man, sometimes life is just life. You know what I mean? It doesn't send an email. Hey, this is tomorrow. This is coming next week. This is how you're going to feel. This is how you're going to think. This is how people are going to treat you. But you ever sometimes just feel like if you sit there and in your life, you just feel that flame dwindling. At our house, we have like a little fire pit. And uh, me and the boys really like, doing the fire and doing those things and we we kind of like fire probably a little too much but anyways we like fire burn this daddy no we can't burn that no that doesn't belong to us that's the neighbor's son no we can't burn that i know it'd be really cool and yes even though we have a uh, starter fluid that would make it really fun but we're not going to do that you know we, we have all those times we burn things but after things burn for a while as you notice as the wood burns the coals start to build but i noticed something we get close to the end of the end of the time unless i take another log and throw it on there and kind of keep the coals close together that you know what, what happens eventually the coals separate and if I don't add another log what happens that flame gets a little little lower the flame's not so bright eventually it's not producing so much heat if you leave it alone long enough and you allow it to break apart and spread apart eventually it just turns to ash and I'm still looking for a positive use for ashes <laughs> for anything 
And what I want us to look at today is kind of the idea of this, is the idea of fanning the gospel flame. And I want to talk to us in twofold way. I want to talk to us as individuals, because we are individuals. You know, Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. You are responsible for your soul. You're also responsible for your walk with Christ, your journey with Christ. But I also want to talk to us as the church, meaning not Emmanuel, but talk to us as far as the body of Christ. Because I love how we have people here that are from different churches, different places. I love that. That's great. I love that we can get together and worship, not because the name on the sign, but because of the one that saved us. And that's the most important thing. And in my life, I, in my short time on earth, <laughs> some of you are like, you're old, Phil. Those people just left, by the way, those little kids. But um, I've been a part of probably about five churches since I was a kid, since I come to Christ. And those different churches that I've been a part of, whether I've been attended church or I may be involved in church or, or maybe on staff at church. There's different churches I have. I've been part of some of them that they were very vibrant. They were very active. They were very uh, alive in a desire to bring people to the knowledge of Christ, to see people saved, to see people discipled, to see people just reached with the gospel, to make Christ their life, that he's all in and all, and to see communities just uh, engaged. And I've seen that in those churches that were there. But I've also been a part of Churches that hadn't been their desire. I've been a part of some churches over my time that it's just to stay alive, if I can say it like that. Kind of like the whole idea, hold the fort. We're not attacking hell with a water pistol anymore. We're just trying to hold on just for dear life. And by the way, I understand there's different phases and seasons in life, especially when hurt and, and things come in the life of a church. But if you know me very well and, and looking at this thing, you know my idea and, and taking from Scripture is, is that a church should not be defensive. A church should be aggressive. It should be on the offense. It should be going forward. And when I think about some of those churches I grew up in and, and been a part of, one of those churches in particular is no longer even a church. And, and I understand that. And, but, you know, sometimes in some places that I've been, there's almost been this philosophy, instead of engaging people for Christ, it's almost like sin is like a disease and contagious you can catch. So let's kind of keep everyone away from anyone that would come in with sin in their life because we're almost scared they'll infect us. You know what I mean? And if you've ever been a part of a church like that, you know what I mean? Let's build like a little wall around us where we kind of keep us in here and everybody like us. But let's not let anybody in because ooh, it might rub off on us. And there's a lot of teachings on purity and holiness and those things. And by the way, may we ever continue to grow in our holiness and our pursuit of God. I get it. But you know as I know, if a church is going to do what it's supposed to do, it's going to be messy sometimes. At my house, I have four children, and I have Sadie. Sadie's my dog, okay? She is our golden doodle that has an identity crisis. She's about that tall. She thinks she's a small dog, but she's actually a large dog. And, in fact, she can leap over couches or over couches onto tables, we found out, which is really cool. We actually thought about changing her name to Bunny just because she can jump so high. And, and what's interesting in my house is this, and, and not Sadie, Sadie probably the best one of the whole group, is that, um, oh yeah, all my kids aren't in children's church. Okay, anyhow, um, it doesn't matter how hard we, Rachel, cleans the house and does these different things. It doesn't matter how long and how hard she works and does these different things. It's almost like some of my kids, and I won't say any names, but like some of their kids, it's almost like they melt, literally. Like you walk in and there's a pile of clothes. It's not in the room. Like it's like, you kind of wonder what happened. You go through the living room, the shoes, the socks, and everything, and it's just left there, just a mess. And you're like, I don't know if I want to find you right now is what I don't know. And then you go over here, and, uh, and in particular, my, my youngest one, she's not in here. I can say her. Okay, she's not in here. If y'all say anything, then you, you're grounded. Uh, but anyhow, um, but like the other one, Chloe, I love her, but Chloe probably changes clothes 17 times a day. You that might have little girls that understand that, that we're a princess, and then we're something else but it's like why couldn't you be that in the same outfit you know what i mean it's just like piled and just you know anything over time tends to get disorganized it gets messy and no matter how often we clean it no matter how often we do it uh we, we're going to have these messes and so we have a decision to make some days we look at ourselves and we say you know what the kids aren't worth it let's ship them out we want a clean house okay some of y'all like phil preach that man give me three points that i can do right right there can't do that okay but why do we have the chaos that's in our house? And it's probably in your house too. 
Why do we have the mess? Why do we have the maintenance? Why do we have the cleaning? Why do we have these different things that we're trying to, <laughs> to work out? Because we're trying to raise four children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Trying to teach them how to not only live life, but love Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus. So when they leave us, they can love Christ and function in this world. And if we have that mentality with our children that we love most days, okay? We ought to have the same idea when it comes to the church house. Because there's going to be people that walk through the doors. Let's just be honest, they're going to be messy. They're going to have stuff in their life. They're going to have issues. And which, by the way, I love the Apostle Paul when he listed all these things in the church that they were getting so aggravated that was in the church, all these different things that were sinful and terrible. And he said, and such were some of you. Don't forget from which you have fallen. Is that whenever I came to Jesus, I didn't look so pretty. I wasn't so clean. You might remember when you found Christ, or actually, let's just say it like it's when Christ found you. And you remember how broken and how messed up you probably were in your life or how, what you could be and how Jesus came and he cleaned you up, he redeemed you, he ransomed you, and he puts you on the path towards heaven, towards glorifying him with your life. You know, one thing I've come to realize is this. Infants are infants. They're messy. Praying for you, Nico, wherever you're at, man, because I know they just had that. Nico, you're right there. Nico's like, Phil, you just keep saying it closed. And there it is. I got it. Nico and Marty just had a baby on Monday. I do not envy Nico at all. Somebody said he'll get to sleep in about three years. By the way, we just a little side note. Some of y'all heard it in Sunday school. We had a little time of prayer for Nico and Marty uh, on Sunday night, just praying for them. Uh, she went into labor about eight hours later. I'm glad I didn't pray a lot longer. And I'm not praying for that money that you're hoping to get tomorrow or something like that either to show up that day. But what we know is this. Babies are messy. Children are messy. But unless they're taught and trained on how to function and responsibility and accountability, you have what we have today, a lot, a lot of adults still functioning as children. They're just taller, they're just bigger, they're just wider, whatever you want to see it. They're just older. But it takes somebody coming alongside, saying, let me help you, let me walk with you in this thing we call the Christian life. And you want to know why, and this is kind of why I'm getting to, you want to know why we don't do that a lot of times as a church or as individuals? Because our own personal flame and zeal for God starts waning. And I want us to look at some things here in just a moment. And I'm going to read, say, Phil, are you going to read scripture ever? Yeah, I'm going to read scripture, okay? I'm going to say, like, man, this is a trick I prayed at the beginning, okay? But I as when we get in this, as we continue the book of Acts, how the church has left Jerusalem and some things. But what I want to look at today is kind of the understanding that if you don't fan the flames, of the gospel in your heart and life, you're just going to quench the spirit. And you're going to live a miserable life as a believer. And I want us to look at that, some ways that we can kind of fan this fire. And by the way, the opposite is true, that if we don't fan the flames by doing some of these things we're reading scripture, then we're actually dousing water on it, pouring water on it. And, and the effect that has on our lives as individuals. Now, we looked at last week, the idea of Paul had left Athens. We were in chapter 17 we looked at a lot of different uh, things. We looked at Thessalonica, Berea, and we looked at Athens. We said Paul was in Athens. And, and by the way, I love in verse number three where it says Paul what? He was opening and alleging Christ, which means he was explaining and demonstrating Christ. Hopefully this week, if you are here last week, we talked about this. It's one thing for us to explain who Christ is. Another thing to demonstrate who Christ is with our lives. How did you do this week? How did I do this week? Probably not as good as I wanted. But we see that he leaves Athens and he goes to Ephesus. And so he's in Ephesus when we get to chapter number 19, and we're going to read some things about it. And, of course, he proclaims the truth, and I'm going to have to go over some of these quickly. We're not going to read all the passages of it. But Paul spends about three years in Ephesus. Most places he spent three weeks, a month, a couple months, sometimes a year. But Paul spent three years in starting the church at Ephesus. And not everybody received it. Some of them received it. Some of them didn't receive it, but we do know this in Scripture in reading chapters 18 that you know what it says? That Paul proclaimed Christ so much that all of Asia knew the gospel of Jesus. That's pretty impressive. 
in three years. And so when you come to chapter number 19, you get kind of a strange and awesome story. You get the story of these uh, guys, these sons of Sceva. And let's read uh, verses 11 through 15, if you would, okay? So in verse number 11 of chapter 19, it says, And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. By the way, that's just awesome. You've heard about that. I mean, we're talking about diseases being healed, not by Paul laying hands on him. It says his handkerchief fell on some people. God used that. They were healed. It's all God, not Paul, okay? So if you're like, dude, I'm going to buy me some handkerchiefs and aprons. Okay, that's, that's not what we're talking about. So people were healed just by that. In verse 13, then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took unto them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were of sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. Verse 15 is kind of interesting. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? See, what happens is you got these seven sons of Sceva that are there in um, Ephesus. And, and catch this. This is their job. They're exorcists. That means they, they call out demon-possessed. I don't know what course you got to take in college for that. I don't know really the job description of that. I don't know what the pay is for that. I'm not signing up for that job, okay? You know, my kids are talking about what they're going to do with their life. I'm not saying, you know what, exorcism would probably be a pretty cool way to go. You know, you ought to look into that. But these guys were doing it. They were going to these Jewish synagogues, and they were doing it for, like, money. They were doing it to try to go and cast out demons out of people. And they were doing all these different things. And, and they were trying to be involved in that. But this is what happened. They noticed that Paul, remember, the handkerchief falls off, touches somebody, they're healed. And they're like, Paul walks in such authority and they're thinking, man, we have to work a whole lot harder at our job than what Paul does. So these seven guys, these sons of Sceva, go find them, as you see here in, in verse number uh, 13. And they go and find a demon-possessed man, and they basically say this. They say, in the name of Jesus, Paul's God, we command you to come out. So they're like, man, if Paul must have something figured out. Paul must have something figured out on how to do this. So they go up to this guy, and they say, in the name of Jesus... Paul's God, we command thee to come out. And I don't know if you saw verse 15. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are ye? Um, the demon speaks out of this guy that's demon-possessed, okay? And basically says, we know Jesus, we know Paul, who are you? Now, I don't know about you, but that would be a little bit of terror would hit my life right then. Hey, we know who Christ is. We know Paul. We don't know you, boss. And the demon actually speaks out to him. And I just think that panic would come when he says this. He says, and I haven't heard of you. And the Bible says something very interesting about it, that it says that the, that the demon through the man actually leaped out onto these guys. Now you say, Phil, what's this message? I'm, I'm not telling you you're going to go to Walmart today and some dude's going to jump on it. I'm not saying that. But this pretty awesome part of Scripture here that you've got to understand, okay? There is something we can apply here. Is that it says that it jumped on the seven guys and whipped them. I mean, you ever sometimes get in a fight as a kid and you're like, I won the fight. Well, there's no, no, I won the fight. You know, you always wonder, no, did you win the fight? Who won the fight? These dudes didn't win the fight because as we're going to read here in a little bit, they leave the fight bloody and naked, Okay? If you get into a fight with clothes and you leave without clothes, you lost the fight, bro. Okay, you didn't win the fight. Okay, because if I'm in a fight, if I'm fighting somebody, scrapping somebody, they might tear my shirt. But when everything starts to go away, I'm not relenting that, okay? All right, that's not happening, okay? So, and they say they go away bloody and messed up. And look what it says in verse number 16. And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Wow. They, these guys got smashed. <laughs> okay. They got smashed. Why? Because they were doing the right works without doing it with the Spirit. We t I told my Sunday school class, you're going to hear just a little bit of overflow today, and I'm sorry about that. But the reason they didn't have any power had nothing to do with them versus Paul it was their God, their heart, their spirit versus the spirit, the Holy Spirit that indwelled Paul. 
And can I tell you, a lot of times in your life, you're going to do the right things, but you're going to do it with the right, wrong heart and the wrong spirit, and you're going to do it for self and selfish glory, and you're going to walk away from it bloody and naked. Okay? And ain't going to be no argument who won the fight. But you don't see that issue of Paul. Once again, we're not glorifying Paul. We're glorifying the God of Paul because that's who Paul says. Remember, Paul's even one that says, I myself, and I'm paraphrasing, if for the Jews would come to faith in Christ, I, Paul, would be willing to go to hell that my people would come to faith in Christ. I don't know if I could ever feel that way. But Paul wanted to be so used to the Spirit and wanted to be so used to that. And what we see here, this happens, and the city's kind of in awe. By the way, that would be pretty much a pretty, you know, uh, breaking news story of the day. Okay, you imagine what Facebook would have looked like a lot during that day. People would have thought, like, watch this, dude. You know, just videoing this, look at this stuff. If seven guys have been calling, you know, exorcist guys doing that, and these guys get beat up by this guy, and they leave bloody and naked, you know what they're going to think? Wow. But look what happens as we go on here in verse number 17. And this was known to all the Jews and the Greeks, also dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Okay? So if we read this statement and we understand this a little bit, you have these seven sons of Sceva that they beat up their neck and all this happens. This uproar happens. And we see a lot of people come to faith in Christ. And you see, as you read about here in just a little bit, it says something happens. Believers get involved. Believers get involved. And that's huge for you to understand. Because in the verses we just read, what does it say? That the believers came forward, what? Divulging their practices, confessing their sins. And they just came forward, even with their books and stuff, and burned them. I'm not a big proponent. I love books. I'm not a fan of burning books. But, you know, they, they came with these witchcraft books, these other books, and they said they burned them all, got rid of them. Kind of makes me, if you, if you grew up kind of in my circle a little bit, the old, the old burn barrel when you would get rid of stuff. Some of you probably remember that. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? You don't know. You get to save your money because we would burn stuff and buy it three months later, stuff we were getting rid of, and we do back. Some of you know exactly what I mean with that. What do we know about the church at Ephesus? We know more about them than any other church in the history of the Bible. I told my Sunday school class this. We see the birth of the church here in chapter 19. We see the life, and then in Revelation 2, we see the end of it. There's so much we have about the church at Ephesus. Uh, we have the letter um, to the church at Ephesus. There's the book of Ephesians. By the way, uh, Timothy was an elder in Ephesus. You have the books of First and Second Timothy. You also have John, who actually wrote the book of Revelation. He was actually at one time pastored or was an elder there at the church at Ephesus, you have 1st, 2nd, 3rd John are totally written with the idea to the church at Ephesus. And then you have the book of Revelation uh, with that. By the way, you don't have to turn there, but speaking about the book of, uh, speaking of the church of, of Ephesus and the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 say this. Speaking of that, we've been going over this a little bit in our Sunday school class. At the end of the church in Revelation 2, 4 and 5, it says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Verse 5, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. So he basically says, if you don't repent, turn from what you're doing. He's talking to believers now. If you don't repent and turn, what's going to happen? He says, I'm going to remove my presence from your life. Can I tell you, there's a lot of churches operating today that are not operating with God in their midst and God in their presence. By the way, we don't have a corner on God here. We can live our lives in such a way that we lose our love for God that, you know, we can still have church, we can still sing songs, we can still have messages, but God is not in our midst. Can I tell you, you cannot replace the presence of God in a church service for anything. I don't care what kind of music you got, what kind of speaker you got, what kind of giving you got. There's nothing that replaces the Spirit of God being present when we meet. And by the way, that's something we should pray for as we enter, as we come. Spirit be in us, Spirit be in here, Father be with us. 
May we never take for granted that because if you're like me, that occasionally in my church history, I've been in times where it seems cold and dead in a church. Whenever that fire gets kindled again, you think, man, I never want to be dead and cold again. And if you've been in a place where it's been on fire, then you go to a place and maybe over time in the same place that the fire goes out, you pray and long for the fire to come back. And what I see here in, this, in looking at some things here about, about Paul and some things I want us to see here about this church is I see some things that happened in Ephesus at the beginning that they did to help fan the flames to keep the fire burning. Because I, I, want, I want to encourage you, believers, I want to encourage you, Emmanuel, is this. Let's not just put this thing called the Christian life on cruise control or autopilot. Because it's going to be real easy to do that. If that flame that's burning in your heart, that zeal desire you have for God, that desire to please God, to know more about God, to grow closer to God, you need to keep actively working on that, throwing logs on the fire, logs on the fire, logs on the fire. Keep being active. My boys the other day bought a uh, tent. And they slept outside, and they got a fire right there. And I kept telling them, man, before you go to sleep, throw as many logs as you can, because when that fire is gone, boss, that's going to get cold out there. And it's not because of negligence. They just went to sleep. They didn't go to bed saying, man, I hope the fire goes out. They kind of wanted it to still keep going, but they fell asleep. And a lot of times in our life, we just go to sleep spiritually. I can go to sleep and sit in church on Sunday morning. I ain't talking about physically. By the way, I can see when that happens physically too, though. That's really cool. <laughs> when we can go to sleep, praying for our meals. I can read my Bible every day and be asleep spiritually. I, I, I can parent my kids. I can be friends. I can get up and preach and be asleep spiritually. That's why I like to pray when I come into the pulpit. I'm just kind of letting you know a little bit about me. Just, I pray God use me in spite of me. Is there any part of me that's still asleep that I don't get in the way and become a stumbling block to whatever God has for you? And I want us to see some things that we can do to help us to keep fanning that flame. First, I see this. Number one, the way that we can fan this flame, I'm going to have to look and make sure I get it right. Okay, good. Is we don't pretend that we are more than what we are. We don't need to pretend, you don't need to pretend that you are more than what you are. You know, for a way to fan the fire of the gospel in our church, in our community, is for us not to pretend that we are more than what we are. That means we need to be authentic. That means we need to be honest. Uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse uh, 7 through 9, talks about if we confess our sins, he's what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? So, and that's written to a church. It's written to believers. So, it means that we need to be authentic. It means that we need to be honest. Can I tell you something? To that church he wrote to, which is Ephesus, when he wrote it in the Revelation 2, what did he tell them to do? Repent. Repentance and confession, can I tell you something? It's not something that should happen one time in your life. Salvation is a one-time event. Confession and repentance is a lifelong process. And churches and individuals die. When we don't fan the flame that, you know what, I'm still messed up. And remember, as we talked about very early in this act series, what is one thing that is promised whenever we faithfully proclaim the word of God? That Jesus will show us exactly who we are. He'll be honest with us about who we are. So if I, if I have a right heart, I have the right mentality, then you know what, he'll show me who, who we are. And the idea is this confession and the idea uh, of this of repentance and this idea of mean that we constantly need to do it. As it said in Revelation, he said, I know your works. I know your labor of love. I know your patience. I know what you're doing. But you constantly need to be repenting, constantly be confessing. What are the, the Puritans had a little quote. Tally up every night, every day. Keep short accounts with God. If I'd asked you a question, what sins did you commit yesterday? Now, of those sins, which ones did you get forgiveness and repentance and confession with God? Or, just the safety net that we throw out. God, thank you for the day and, and forgive me for all my sins, everything I did wrong. Is that really confession? Is that really repentance? 
And God forgive me for that. Forgive me for lying to that person. God forgive me for being mean to her. God forgive me for my anger right here where I lost my temper. Which one do you think really is repentance? Which one really is confessing? See, we as Christians have these great things that sear our conscience with a hot iron. Lord, give us a good day. Okay, what's a good day? God, forgive me where I did wrong. Great, I need forgiveness for my sin, but I need forgiveness where I lie, where I cheat, where I steal, where all these different things. That I, need, I need to confess those things. And the idea of fanning the flame with that is this. And what we read here in Acts chapter 19 these believers came and said, you know what? We got these books about witchcraft. We've got these things in our house that talk about the occult and those things. We're going to take all those and throw them in the fire. You know what they're saying? This is going to be genuine. This is accountability. This is me repenting. This is me confessing. I no longer want this in my life. I'm not just going to put it on a shelf because if you're like me, when I put my sin on a shelf instead of repenting, I go back to the shelf when I get hungry for it. When my desires and my flesh call for whatever that sin is, unless I confess it and, and, and repent of it, you say, Phil, if I confessed and repented, I'd be at the altar every Sunday. Praise the Lord. Hopefully it's not every Sunday. Hopefully it's every day. If you find yourself never in the altar, meaning the presence of God, not necessarily this physical place, but in the presence of God, man, you've got cold spiritually. It's all about confession and repentance. Confess and repent. Because here's the thing. I feel like when I was on my way to hell and living because of the love of God, God saved me. Now I'm going forward, as small Paul talked about a little bit. Now I'm going towards a life that's pleasing to God. Can I be honest with you? I still get my eyes off a little bit and I kind of stray. And what I need to do is confess, repent, get back on the path. And I'm going to keep going and you know what's going to happen. Something's going to happen in my life and I'm going to get off the path again. I may even start going in the wrong direction. But that's where repentance comes in. That's where confession comes in. If we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive and to make it as if it never happened. You want more detail to cleanse us from all righteousness? Read Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us that he does not chastise us in our sin, in our depravity, that God does not in his anger hold my sin against me because I've been forgiven. That's why it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. It's because what has Christ done in my life? And I tell you, I love that repentance and faith and trust in Christ but I've got for my salvation, but I need to trust in the repentance and trust in Christ as I go forward in my life too. You know, I find out sometimes in my relationships with, with people, I have to look at them every now and then and say this. I'm sorry, I was wrong. Okay, no one else. Okay, good. Just me. I had to sometimes say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. You know what we live in a culture that says, I can be wrong. I can know that I'm wrong. You can know I'm wrong. But I ain't going to confess that I was wrong. And if we have that attitude amongst people that we can see, imagine the attitude we have to a God that we can't see. Want to know why you're going cold? Because you're not willing to be as honest with God. As God already knows you to be. Can I lean on you here for a little bit if you're part of Emmanuel? I love you. Some of you in this room are still too strong. You're too strong. It means you're prideful. You're trying to do this on your own. Yeah, you make mistakes, but you ain't going to confess anything. You ain't going to make it right with that person in your life. You ain't going to make it right with God. You ain't going to change because that admits failure and fault. And my prayer is that God will break you. That God will love you enough to make it when you realize that when I am weak, then he's strong. Christ is weak when I'm strong. And some of us in this room, you're just too strong. You're too strong. You ain't going to come back to church faithfully for this reason or that reason. It's weak. It ain't going to hold water when you stand before the one that says, I loved you and I gave myself for you. And I did it with no sin, no malice. And we get too strong about who we are and how we've been hurt and how this has happened and how we don't like this. And I know I'm leaning on you a little bit, but I'm leaning on you because I love you. Because you know what? In my life, if I need to confess more in my life, 
I've actually prayed this, God, if you need me to be more open about what you do in my life and how you jerk the chair out from underneath me in life, God, help me to be willing to do it. Because you don't need a pastor that's going to sit here and act like he's perfect. Because there ain't no such thing. But I also want to be too forthcoming that I make you fall. We've got to be honest. We've got to be honest that we can't pretend to be more than what we are. It doesn't help people. It doesn't help people to think that you're something when you're really not in those things. Can I tell you something? There is no freedom ever for those who refuse to be honest ever. There's no freedom in that. There's no peace in that. If you're like, man, I know this is wrong in my life. Man, I know I need to confess this. Man, I know this is right. And you won't do it. You won't have peace and freedom ever. Ever. You've got to be honest with God and honest with others. There's no victory over sin where there's no willingness to be honest that it is sin. There's no victory over those things. If I can't say, yes, God, you say this is sin. If I can't be honest and say, yes, it is sin, then I'll never have victory over it. Because here's the thing, like we talked about being messy. We can't clean up a mess if we don't call it a mess. Want a point? I walk in my kid's room sometime and I'm like, look at this mess. And they're like, what? What? Look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. Man, oh, there's carpet there. Look at that. There's my coffee mug from 1982. You know, you know I mean, look at that. And they're like, no, I'm good. I mean, no, it's not messy. It's not perfect. It's not messy. You know why they don't clean it? It ain't messy. You know why I don't get honest with God? I don't think it's messy. I don't think it's sin. And so I start justifying. Well, God really didn't mean that. I mean, okay, great. I got it. What he said, Paul here. I, I mean, these sons of Sceva, I got that. But I mean, when God tells us don't to be not, you know, don't be a glutton. I mean, God didn't really know that we're not going to have these Chinese buffets and everything that we're going to have today. I mean, God obviously did not know that he was going to create man. Man, one day would create buffets and all God's children would be happy and miserable in the same trip. I mean, honestly, God surely didn't mean that for our time and our culture and our place. I am the Lord. I change not. That's why you sons of Jacob are not consumed. That's what he says in Malachi. Jesus Christ in Hebrews. Yesterday. Today. And we cling to that when we're in need. That he is faithful. That he is forgiving. But it also means Jesus Christ yesterday, today, forever. Is still as holy. Still as just. And what he called wrong and sin then is still wrong and sin today. Whether or not you won't call it a mess or not whether or not I want to call it sin or not. And we need to not pretend to be things that we're not. You ever find out something about somebody and it just floored you? Like, I never would have thought that about them. You know why? They were pretending. Can I tell you what the world needs? The world needs people who call themselves Christians that are truly following Christ. And that starts with me. You need somebody that's not going to call himself a preacher, not going to call himself a pastor. You need somebody that's truly following Christ. And I need to work on this because there are days I'm really tempted to be what I'm not. And I have to keep those short accounts with God. That's why I ask God to help me. When I, when I goof it, when I drop the ball, God, if that's how you want me, you want me to use myself as an example, God, use me as an example. Help me not to be too prideful that I can't use my own sin repentance, reconciliation with God, that I'm too prideful, too strong to allow that to be an example. But for God to help us with that. Second thing we see here is this. By the way, I really like the second thing, and even though it's really difficult, but sometimes I think this is a little bit more. <laughs> Number two is this, laying aside our personal preferences. You want to fan the flame of the gospel in your life? Sometimes you're going to have to lay aside your personal preferences flip over to chapter 20 see told you i'd make it chapter 20 chapter 20 you're like you're just skipping phil you guys can read it's good okay chapter 20 i like you to look in verse number um 18 if you would okay and when they were come to him he said unto them this is paul ye know verse 18 
from the first day that I came into Asia after manner I have been with you all many seasons verse 19 serving the Lord with all humility and of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you but has showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house verse 21 testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks what repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, verse 22, behold, I go bound in the spirit into Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save the Holy Ghost witness in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Verse 24, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I may finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel. By the grace of God. And now behold I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God. Shall see my face no more. Now remember this is to Paul. He's speaking to the elders. He spent three years with them. This is what he's telling them. And the idea of sometimes fanning the flame of the gospel means sometimes my personal preferences I got to put aside. Paul is telling them man for three years I've been with you. For three years I've told you everything I know about the Christ about Christ and who Christ is and how to live a Christian life. I've been telling you for three years, but I don't know if you noticed it says there in that verse, verse 22 says, but now I go bound in the spirit. You know what it is? He's saying this. I got to leave you. He said, I don't want to leave. I got to leave you. He said, so I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And he knows those at Jerusalem are waiting for him. He knows when he gets to Jerusalem, they're probably going to take him. They're probably going to imprison him. He don't know exactly. They might even kill him. They might just stone him when he gets to the town. Now, I'm thinking to myself, if I'm Paul and I got this great congregation and the church at Asia and everybody's hearing about God, and I'm going to go to a place where they hate me and want to kill me, that is not on my preference list. Paul says, I got to go. Don't want to go. But what Jesus wants is more. He's basically saying this. Follow me here, Paul. And he says, this is what I'm going to do. So I'm going to go. But he says some sad words. I don't know if you saw the end of verse 25. He said, I've been with you, preaching and teaching to you. He says, but you're not going to see my face anymore. And Paul, just to let you know, we meet Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. So some of us, we get to see each other three times a week. I try to do that more when we do other things, activities, fellowship, different these people, to my knowledge, have spent every day with Paul. Every day for three years. Talking with him, studying scripture and anything. And Paul looks at him and says, this is our goodbye. And it's not a goodbye because I understand the theology of Paul. Paul is telling them this. I will see you in heaven, but you're not going to see me on earth anymore. Because I'm leaving. And... I'll just give you an example in my life. A lot of you know this. A lot of you know my story. I'll make it real quick. You know, I grew up as a bus kid, got saved at Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. My parents moved away, moved back. When I got back from college, God allowed me to work there for nine years and getting to do a lot of the things. I was really just honored in a sense to do that. But I started feeling like Paul did in verse 22. The Spirit saying, I know this is where you're at. But this is where I'm going, Phil. Are you going to follow me? Now, I remember talking to Rachel, saying, hey, we're going to pack up. We're going to move to South Carolina. And I remember thinking, God, but you've done great things here. God, you've done this right here. But he was almost telling me, but this is where I'm going. Are you going to follow me? And I remember talking. I and mean, we had friends. Man. We had lots of friends. I know you probably can't imagine me with this friend. I had a lot of friends, okay? People liked me, man. It was awesome. We hung out. We had friends. We'd stay up all hours of the night. And I was a lot younger. And addicted to Mountain Dew. We had a lot of things we did. And I found older, you, you graduate to spiritual maturity, you do coffee. And so anyhow, with that. And we went from a church of 1,200 people who honestly, Rachel and I could probably take, and I'm not saying this to brag, but because of the way God used us, we could tell you 90% at least of those people's names. Because we were involved in many different ways. We loved it. 
Maggie just started going to the Christian schools. So we're like, man, school's covered. It was paid for. By the way, if you pay for school, you know the blessing. Like, thank you, God, for that. They didn't pay for lunches. They're like, <laughs> I mean, I'm covered, man. I'm good. God says, hey, you want to follow me? This is where we're going. Now, you can stay here and do the works of me without me. Or you can lay down your preferences. Because I was fine. You can ask Rachel. I, I, I could live there. Worked there, died there, being great there. That was me. But I had to make a decision. Do I lay down my preferences to keep following God and allow him to keep stoking those flames? And it's nothing about where we went. God did some great things in our life. We got hurt. We got encouraged. We got broken. But I believe with all my heart, God was doing every bit of that, and she will agree and testify that. God was doing all that all those years to prepare us for here. And I can tell you, looking at my parents sitting in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, in September of 2008, looking at them and saying, we're moving. And my sister is the only other sibling I have. She lives halfway around the world. I was a favorite anyways, but that don't matter. Okay. <laughs> Some people are keeping score at home, okay? If you're listening, Dana, I love you. Okay, you know it, though. All right, so anyhow. And I remember the look in their face when I told them we're leaving. I remember going to my friends. Hey, we love y'all. We're leaving. I had friends look at me and say, you're nuts. They love me, and that, and when they told me, that's why I didn't hit them, Okay. They love me and they look at me and say, you're nuts. What are you doing? But then after a while, they prayed about it and I prayed about it and they came back and said, you just got to follow Jesus. And sometimes Jesus don't lead you where your preferences are. Sometimes you don't get everything you want. But can I tell you, Jesus is all you ever need. And I am happier, have more joy, have more peace in my life when I follow Jesus and lay down my preferences than I am when I get everything I want. Some of you in this room know what I mean. You've gotten everything you want. You chased, you chased, and you finally got it all and realized it's just sand falling through your hands. But if you want to fan that flame and not die, you can't let your preferences trump you throwing logs on that fire and laying down your preferences and following Christ and obeying Christ. And that's just being obedient to whoever he has. That means some things you like, you don't like. Hey, it, just, it is what it is. And I'll say this last point in closing. The way that we fan the flames in closing, number, number three is this. Is our commitment to the word of God. You want to keep that fire from going out. You have to have an unmoving, unwavering commitment to God. Because he's revealed himself in his and that's very 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 important and it's imperative because of that if you read down in verse number 26 you want to know why you need to verse 26 of chapter 20 says this Paul says more you see and hear that alone at Ephesus but almost throughout all Asia this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people saying there be no gods which are made by made with hands so that not only this our craft is in danger to be said it not, but also that in the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. I was in chapter 19. Sorry about that. Boop. I'm, I'm sitting there going, that ain't what I'm talking about. <laughs> Got to quit following the wrong preference, Phil. Okay. All right. Bounce back. Sorry. Sorry. Verse 26 in the right passage of chapter 20. Wherefore, I take unto you record this day that I am pure. Man, this is huge. I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the flock of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. So why should you personally be committed an unwavering commitment to God's word? This is why. He said, I've told you everything. I've told you all this stuff. I'm trying to get you to be more committed to God's word. Here is why. Verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure shall grievous wolves enter in among you, 
not sparing the flock. Also of your own self shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. He says, you know why in fanning the flame, you know why you have to have an unwavering commitment to God's word? He said, because when I leave, the wolves are going to show up. And here's one thing. You can't fight the wolves if you don't know who the wolves are. What did Jesus tell us? That was wolves in sheep's clothing. He says you need to be so committed to this book because you know what? If you're not, you're going to look and say, is that a wolf or is that a sheep? Is that right or is that wrong? And if you're not careful, it will destroy your life. And that's why I encourage you every time we meet, fall in love with the God of this book and then you'll fall in love with this book. I forgot exactly who I said it. I want to think it's D.L. Moody, but I could be wrong. He either said sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. It's one or the other. An unwavering commitment to the word of God. To know who are the wolves, to know who are the sheep. And he said that if wolves aren't coming in to be your friend, they're coming in to eat you, to devour you, to destroy you. And that's why he says, I don't shun to tell you all the counsel of God. You know what that means? It means this. He says, I don't mind giving you the flowery message, the encouraging message, but I also don't mind just telling you exactly how it is. And that's my desire too. I don't want to be where I don't give you everything. But can I tell you something? For me to give you everything means, whoo, I've got to be a student of this. I've got to be committed to this. And I just want to encourage you today. How is the flame of the gospel burning in your life? Is it burning bright? Man, you say, Phil, I'm on fire for God, so you're just telling me it's just like sick them. I mean, I love this, man. I love reading the Bible. I love doing that. Man, I know how broken I am. When I get sin, it's like, ooh, I want it off of me. I confess it to God. I have repentance. Man, I, I'm there in my life. Okay, Phil, I am there. And I love it. I love the Bible. I don't want to be a hypocrite. They can I tell you something great, but you're going to have to keep adding to that flame. Because the moment you get lax, the moment you think you arrive, the moment that you think you're something that you're not, the wolves are going to creep in. And that flame's going to go away. It ain't going to end good. I love our church. Love it. Love you guys. I do. Some of you I don't know very well. Some of you I know really well. Some of you wish I didn't know you so well. I get all that. But can I tell you for the body of believers to meet here for that fire to keep burning and us not to be like that church I talked about, that one church that I was a part of that was just like just surviving and said to be a church that's vibrant, that's going forth, proclaiming the word of God, seeing God save people, change their lives, seeing marriages back together, seeing people free from addictions, to see God disciple people and to make us walk in holiness towards him, we've got to fan the flame. Because if you don't, it'll burn a little while but eventually it'll burn out. Let's stand together if you will.